Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Ecclesiastes 1. One commentator on the book of Ecclesiastes subtitled his commentary, The Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. An important way to think about this book, The Gospel. Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 1. We'll read the whole chapter. And our text this morning is the first 11 verses, which is the introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It's already been in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given by the sons of, or to the sons of man, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is God's word. May he bless us by it, particularly as we look at 1 verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 1. 1 verses 1 through 11. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, some 
view Ecclesiastes as the unholy ranting of a backsliding man believer named Solomon. And his mouth is foul, his mind is foul, and you can read of the foul stuff here in this book. But these ultimately are not the words of Solomon, though I believe he's the writer, the human author or writer. These are the words of God to us. And right at the end of the book, verse 11, 12, verse 11, says these words of wisdom are given by one shepherd. That shepherd is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Now there's different ways of presenting the gospel. You can use a positive apologetic, declaring straightforwardly the truth of life in Jesus Christ. Good news for sinners. There's also such a thing as a negative apologetic. You bring people to the light by showing them the emptiness and the foolishness and the stupidity of darkness. That's another way to bring the gospel. It's a roundabout way, but that's the way Jesus takes in the book of Ecclesiastes. A negative apologetic. To show us that we're undone. There's no hope in this world. No hope in us. No hope under the sun. We need to go above the sun to our Creator and Redeemer. God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's, that's the only place to break through the wall of futility that the whole human race faces. Facing the wall of futility of a life that's going nowhere. That's what we want to look at in these introductory words in Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11. How do you face the wall of futility? that the whole human race faces. We ourselves face this. It's real. We first want to understand that wall and then look at how to break through that wall. Looking at three things. What's the problem of life in this world? Secondly, what's the profit of life in this world? What's the use? What's there to gain from it? That's what he asks in verse 3. What's the profit? And thirdly, then what's the point as a conclusion? What's the point that we must learn as we live life in this world? So what's the problem? And Solomon the preacher, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, puts the point right up front. Vanity. Vanity. That's the problem of life in this world. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem... Vanity of vanities. And when the Hebrew puts vanity and vanity together, when it repeats the word, it means absolute vanity. Absolute emptiness. And you see in the New King James Version margin, vanity means absurdity. 
senselessness. Life under the sun has become senseless. Empty. And I wonder if it ever feels that way to you. Does life ever seem meaningless? A merry-go-round that you're traveling and you're working hard to push that merry-go-around. And when you get off, you haven't gotten anywhere. Does life seem useless to you? Maybe you feel old and useless. Maybe you feel middle-aged and fruitless. Maybe you feel young and aimless. Why am I here? What am I doing? What's the point? That was very relevant in Solomon's day, in Solomon's life. It's very relevant in our world of postmodern secular liberalism, which has rejected God. And we've shut ourselves off to what's under the sun. And when you shut yourself off to what's under the sun and can't rise above the sun, you are stuck. We are stuck. And we are. And so that's the problem that Ecclesiastes addresses, the problem of the experience of nothingness, meaninglessness, deep existential darkness. Maybe you remember the words of Macbeth in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day and to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but, but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And many songs popular songs in our postmodern culture speak the same way like the song Dust in the Wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Maybe some of you are still old enough to remember Wimbledon tennis champion Boris Becker. Actually, he was in the news recently again, put into prison. But Boris Becker achieved everything. He was athletic, powerful, very wealthy, famous. But when he wrote in his memoirs about what life was like at the top, he said, I have no inner peace. I've reached the top. I've reached the pinnacle. And there's nothing there. I went for it. I got there. And there was nothing there. All that I'd hoped for wasn't there. How many stars and celebrities have discovered this truth? And many common people too. Solomon had reached the pinnacle of life. He had everything. He had wealth, wisdom, achievements, women, fame, power. He was at the top. And even though he had it all, look at his cry of despair right at the beginning. It's all vanity. Absurdity. Idiocy. 
My life is empty, meaningless, dust in the wind, full of sound and theory, signifying nothing. And in this book, Solomon takes us for a walk, a slow and painful walk, through all the corridors of meaninglessness he met in his life. He's first going to take you down the street of human wisdom, science, intelligence. Dead end. Then he's going to take us down the road of pleasure and amusements. Dead end. Then wealth and possession, getting everything. Dead end. Hard work. Dead end. Dead end. Futility. Now some who are in despair face this wall. They really want to stay there. They want to bemoan the darkness, but they don't want to run to the light that God offers. I hope you're not in that spot. I love to complain and bemoan, but I don't want the answer because, well, there's power in raging against the darkness of the night, right? What futility that is. But Ecclesiastes won't allow for that. Because in this book, God keeps stepping in over and over to help, to give help and hope to those who run to him for light. Closer work, uh, look at the word vanity. It's hebel in Hebrew. It's used 38 times in Ecclesiastes. It means vapor, breath, vanity, futility, like steam coming out of a kettle. You see it for just a second and then it dissipates into thin air and is no more. You know where the term hebel, or vanity, is first used in the Bible? Maybe somebody's got it by now. Genesis 4, where we read later, Eve conceived and gave birth to Cain's brother, Hebel. Abel. That's his name, Abel. The exact same word that's used here, vanity, emptiness, here today, gone tomorrow, pointless, and that's Abel's life was pointless from an under-the-sun perspective when you don't look above the sun. Look, look at it. He was a good man. He was a God-fearing man. He was a believer. He trusted in God. He believed in the mother promise of the coming Savior. And what did he get for all that? He died young, murdered in cold blood, and his blood cried out from the ground, meaningless. And as you travel through Ecclesiastes, Solomon will point out many things like Abel that are meaningless, senseless, empty, futile, useless. And the word hebel or vanity is used again in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's the word futility. You, you read it in Romans 8, 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility. And then you realize... Hebel is a curse. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see this vanity? Is the curse of death. That sin we brought upon the human race in the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. God had said, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. 
And the moment we turned our backs on God, whose life and meaning and purpose, and said we shut him out and we want to stay under the sun, God put us under the curse of Hebel, vanity, futility, a life that is going nowhere except down to death. And you know, that's the ultimate vanity. No matter how hard you work, or how much fun you have, or how much money you make, or how smart you are, how many inventions you, you have, you will die. Oh, but you can hand it to the next generation. They will die. Oh, they can't hand it to the next. Well, you know the law of entropy. The world is winding down and it will die. Crazy. What's the point? Oh, but we can fix things. No, says Ecclesiastes 1 a little later. Life is crooked in this fallen world under, under the curse of sin. You can't fix it. You can't fix it. Science can't fix it. Money can't fix it. Power can't fix the problem of futility. Pleasure can't fix it. Your life in the fallen world is like the life of Hebel, Abel. Blood cries out from the ground, looking for a solution. You know what the solution is as a believer. It's above the sun. In God, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to solve the problem. That's where the cure is. He took Hebel upon himself, futility. And he came under it. He was crushed in death. And in dying as the Son of God, he crushed it too and he rose. That's the solution. That's the way through the wall. But not so fast because Solomon says, we, we first, I, I, I want to take you for the walk that I've been on so we can really feel the darkness and become convinced that those roads that we're looking, walking down to look for meaning are dead ends, all of them. And the only road to life, to break through the wall of futility, is the one that goes from heaven down to earth. God coming down to us. And taking hold of us through faith and lifting us up to eternity. One author writes, Who better than Solomon to illustrate the futility of life without God? He had everything that anyone could ever want, but the world is not enough. If it could not satisfy the richest, wisest king in the world, it will never satisfy anyone. Secondly, Solomon asks, What's profit? Look at verse 2. What profit? as a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun. Now he's going to ask the question of what gain do you have from anything you really pursue? Is life worth the investment? Or should you just jump off the ship now before you waste any more breath times? And he gives seven 
pictures of this. Let's go through those seven pictures. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Seven pictures of profitlessness. Uselessness. The word profit is a commercial word. What do you gain from hard work and sweat and tears? Does it pencil out? Is life worth it? Is life worth the work you put into it? Is it worth the worry you put into it? Is it worth getting an education for to invest in it? Is it worth getting up out of bed in the morning? Is life worth that? Going off to your job or to whatever pursuit you have? Is life worth your investment of education, energy, time, and talent? That's what he's, he's going through. Picture one. Life is transient. One generation, verse 4, passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Life is transient. The earth buries generation after generation after generation of people. Man is born to die as surely as the sparks fly upward, says Job. From the moment we're born, death is on the horizon and you'll soon be replaced by the next generation. By the time you hit 30 years old, if anybody's there yet, by the time you hit 30 years old, the new generation already considers you out of touch. Sorry about that. Time you're 50, you're on the side of 100. You're a husband. Life is transient. Number two, verse five, life is repetitious. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Same old, same old. Each day you get up and say, here we go again. Each Monday, the minister starts new sermons and says, here we go again. Each day you go back to work and you say, here we go again. Life is repetitive. Time passes quickly, year by year by year. And cycles downward to nothing. And that's the third thing. Life is circular. Verse 6, the wind goes toward the south. It turns around to the north. And the wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. What goes around comes around. It never seems to quit. Where does it come from? Where does it go? We don't know, but it doesn't go away. It's always moving, but never going anywhere. Round and around and around and around. Life is circular, and we're stuck in it. This merry-go-round. Number four, verses seven and eight A. Life is pointless. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. Life is pointless. It's like filling a bathtub with the plug out. The water keeps running, but the tub never fills. Life is pointless and wearisome. That's what the word all things are full of labor means. Wearisome toil. You just get tired. Boring circle of senseless repeated action. Our groans are too deep for words. That's how the drug culture rose. In the 60s, 70s, kids saw the vain repetition of their godless parents' lives, working hard to get nowhere, and they wanted to break out of that cycle and experience thrill and excitement, something new. They wanted to break through the wall of futility, but alas, their answer to futility itself was futile. 
Number five, picture number five. Life is insatiable. You can't satisfy it. Under the sun, remember. Under the sun. Can't satisfy it. Verse 8b. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear, ear filled with hearing. No matter what you see or hear, we never have our fill. You have your bucket list of all the wonderful things you want to experience, and you get down to number 50. And you saw it all, and you heard it all, and you experienced it all. And you still don't have enough. When Playboy magnate Hugh Hefner was interviewed by his biographer in his mid-80s, his biographer was shocked to find a dissatisfied, empty, and lonely man. When asked what he missed most in his life, Hefner said a real intimate relationship with someone. Really? After thousands of relationships, still an empty, lonely man. Of course. Maybe you trade in one, you get another, or several. That can't fill the void. That can't conquer futility. Alistair Begg writes, Life is a huge appetite that can never be satisfied. If you've been trying to unscramble your life by filling it with relationships, there isn't a relationship with a person on earth who can deal with the deep longings of your life. If you've been trying to satisfy it by intellectual pursuits, there isn't a theorem that you can ponder that can ultimately satisfy your intellectual curiosity. If you've been looking for it along the lines of an emotional trip, there's not a journey that you can take that can answer the insatiable longing that fills the core of your being. That's right. That's what the Google, Tesla, and other executives are doing today, right? They're going for the exotic trips, personal rockets to outer space, personal subs to the depths of the ocean. And they're still bored. They're still bored. Because they don't have God. The true God. That's the boredom of modern secular culture that advertising preys on. Promising you the answer to your vain repetitious life. If you just step out and go here and try this and buy that and do something exotic and you wear those clothes and you get this gadget and you reinvent yourself into a new identity You'll find it. You'll find life, purpose. But no matter how much we see the eye sees or the ear hears, no matter what we feel or experience, the vanity remains. Picture number six, number nine, verses nine and ten. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? No. It's already been in ancient times before us. In other words, life is so past. It is so past. Whatever is new out there is just something old that's appeared in new clothing. Let's just sort of peel it aside. Ah, same old, same old. We hope that we're actually making something new or being novel. We're really buying something truly new. And that's what's going to make our lives worthwhile and valuable, only to discover that the buzz of the new has worn off so quickly. 
And one more thing, number seven, the seventh picture of a profitless life under the sun. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Life is unremarkable and so forgettable. When someone dies, we say they'll never be forgotten. Their memory lives on. But how much do you know about your great-great-grandfather? And you ask around, and oh, well, I got a little tidbit here and a little tidbit there. We'll go back one more generation. Your great-great-great-grandfather. Oh, but so-and-so wrote a book. Yeah, but the book will soon be forgotten and get lost in the dustbin of history. Life is so unremarkable and forgettable. Oh, what a heavy burden is this futility. That explains the drug culture, the immorality, the suicide all around us. People look for a way to get off this merry-go-round once they see that all their pursuits are getting them nowhere. They face this wall of futility. They reinvent themselves and the euphoria of the new identity lasts for a year and then I hate myself again. But how can more of what can't satisfy you fill you? And how can more of you satisfy you when you're the problem? And that leads us to look briefly at, so what's the point? The point of the Lord Jesus Christ in giving us all these pictures of pointlessness is that if you turn away from God, you're cursed to a life of vanity going to take you nowhere but to death and total loss of everything good. The saddest part of current attempts to redefine and recreate marriage and gender is that these are futile answers to the experience of meaninglessness. It's looking for the cure where the disease is in the self. And our Lord Jesus is driving us in this negative apologetic to a dead end where we face the wall and realize I can't do it. And nothing and nobody in this world can do it for me either. No relationship will do it. No amount of money, no amount of intelligence will do it for me. No amount of hard work will do it for me. I end up dead. I look up to the one, the shepherd who's calling me to say, Look above. This futile life under the sun. And what we do with this truth of futility under the sun makes all the difference in the world. What we do with it.
You can embrace this vanity as the life you want and destroy yourself. Or you can embrace God the creator and savior who rescues you from this vanity and gives you eternal life and joy. Only the creator satisfies. The creature cannot satisfy you. And you know how the creator satisfies. Oh, we walked with him before in our first parents, Adam and Eve, we sinned and turned our backs on him. But the creator satisfies by loving this world and all its futility and fallenness and forsakenness saying I will step into it I will step onto the other side of the wall of futility and enter it for you and with you and stand in it so God in his son Jesus Christ became a human being a son of Adam and Eve a brother of Abel Hebel and like Abel He was murdered by his brothers who hated him. Senseless, a good man, perfect man, a God man, has to be crushed by murderers, evil people, and all that goodness comes to nothing. That's not true, because his death was a death like no other. He's the son of God and when he was crucified and killed he was not only being crushed by futility and human weakness but he crushed it in his divine power. He broke through the wall. By rising from the grave he proved that he conquered futility. He swallowed it. He absorbed it. He put it away in himself and his own body and soul. Rose again on the third day, he proved that. And he ascended into heaven to reign and gives the same victory to everyone under the sun who believes in him. United to Jesus Christ, you discover the break in the wall. Purpose. Here. It's not purpose you'll get after you die. Purpose here and now. You believe in Jesus, you're joined to the only person who's conquered life's futility. So if you're feeling old and useless, middle-aged and fruitless, young and aimless, the answer is the same. Jesus. Trust in him. Discover your life in him who conquered life's futility. And in him you are more than a conqueror. In him you have eternal life. In him nothing you do is pointless. Because it all becomes part of a journey to a glorious destiny. Nothing you do in the Lord is in vain. That's the promise of Christ crucified and risen from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor here and now is not in vain. Trust him. Then you're on the side of life, not death. Meaning and purpose, not vanity. Amen. Let's pray.
Father and our God. Thank you. Though we brought this problem of vanity upon ourselves by turning our backs on you, our life, you have brought to us the solution, the cure, redemption, good news in your Son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful God! And what a blessed hope we have in him who swallowed our futility, crushed it, so we can live forever. And that starts here. Lord, give us each in our own trouble spots of life faith to embrace this good news right now. And to go on our way rejoicing, knowing that each day's labors and struggles are not in vain, but the light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.